Hi, my name is Christy, and you're listening to a public podcast. If you want more information about anything going on here at Public Church, visit our website, publicchurch.com. Thanks for listening. Now, who's glad you came to the 930 this morning? Awesome. Can we just give a shout out to the lobby crew and make some noise for them? Lobby crew, thank you guys for your kindness in sitting or standing out there. And look, some of you may be saying, I would enjoy this gathering a lot more if I had some space. So I want to either remind you or invite you to the 530. We actually have three gatherings, and the heart behind the 530 is very simple. It's this. When we make room for people, we create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. When we make room for people, we create opportunities for Jesus to change lives. So we know it's crowded, but the 530 exists to make more room for those of you who are here and more room for all of us to invite our friends who aren't here yet. And look, if you are here and you do not follow Jesus, we especially want to create space for you, mental space, emotional space, intellectual space, and physical space as well. We want to create space for you to ask questions and figure out what you think about Jesus. So if you want to be a part of helping us make room for more people, we just invite you to the 530. And also, there are some perks to coming at night. On Labor Day weekend, we're going to be celebrating Labor Day with food only at the 530. So I'm just saying. I'm coming to 530 that week for sure, and you're invited as well. Now, today, today's a special day. If you're not glad you came, I think that by the end of this gathering, you will be glad you came. And what we're doing is we're finishing our series called Reaching Back. So if you're a guest or if you missed one of our our weeks of this, I just want to catch us all up and get us on the same page. The heart of Reaching Back comes from something Jesus said in Matthew 18.3. And that's going to be on the screen. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 18.3. He made this simple statement. He said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And the key phrase there is turn and become. So when we talk about reaching back, if you, we're going to put our graphic on the screen. And our graphic is a perfect picture of this idea of turn and become. Because what's the first runner doing? He's turning back. And what's he grabbing from the second runner? Any track people in the house? A baton. See, the second runner has something he needs. And once he grabs it, boom, then he is running as fast as he can. And here's what this series is reminding us. It's reminding us that reaching back for our children and students is the only way for public church to move forward. Reaching back for our children and students, or as Jesus said, let's turn and become like the children because they have something that we need. And yes, the next generation will benefit from our investment in them, but we gotta understand, we're gonna benefit too according to what Jesus said. And look, it's true that as a church, reaching back is the only way for us to move forward, but, but as individuals, even if you don't follow Jesus, I think we can all see the value in being able to reach back and invest in the next generation. And the reason today is so special is because we get to hear from two people that, in my opinion, they're some of the best I've ever met at reaching back. I mean, this is their lifestyle. If we wanted to, we could have just taken their picture, put it on the screen, put reaching back, and they could have been the graphic. So if you guys would help me, give a warm public church welcome to Chris Walker and Jessica Brewster. They're going to be coming on up. Awesome. They were coming all the way from the lobby, so it takes a minute. 
All right, Chris and Jessica are phenomenal. They are both on staff with FCA in Knoxville. And so um, I know them from FCA and various events, and I'm telling you, these guys are absolutely incredible. Chris actually played defensive end at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville. Any Vols fans in the house? Awesome. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But, but there's a, a particular Bible verse that was written to a leader. And I think this verse really just describes Chris and Jessica. It's Titus 2, 7, and 8. And to me, just to give you a glimpse of who they are, here's what was written. And again, this could have been written about them. It says, show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned. So an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. That's them. I'm talking about a model of good works in everything they do. Dignity, integrity, sound speech just oozing out of them. So we are in a treat today. So Jessica, we're going to start with you. And, and before we get to Jessica, just to give you a little context for how today's going to flow. Two Fridays ago, my wife, Whitney, and I, we took Liam and our son, and we came up and had lunch with these guys. And it was incredible. And we just had a conversation about reaching back. So what we're going to do is just let you in on that conversation. And a lot of the same things that we talked about in Knoxville over lunch, we're going to be talking about today. And so a little bit about Jessica. So when I first heard of Jessica Brewster, she was like this mystical figure to me. So we actually both spoke at a Lee University FCA retreat. And so like I saw her and it was like, okay, the unicorn's real. Like she's real. Like this mystical person is real. And every time I did something with FCA, I'd hear all these ladies and guys telling stories about Bruce said this and Bruce said that and Brewster did this. And when I was down, Brewster was there for me. And I was like, this this lady is awesome. And so I had the privilege of speaking at an FCA camp this summer, and Jessica rolled in late in the week, and when she showed up, I really felt like, the, well, it's okay, you had other work to do. Um, but I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, public church has got to hear from her and learn from her. So men, I think we need to hear about her wisdom and the way she's investing in people. Ladies, I think you need the example of how she is a godly woman and the way she's investing in the next generation. So Jessica, would you just start us off and tell us a little bit about your story and really how you became to be a Jesus follower? Okay. Hey guys, how y'all doing today? Uh, it's such an honor and a blessing to be here and just uh, share with you guys who we are and what the Lord has done in our life and how he's using us. Uh, it's definitely a big deal because we both come from jacked up passes. But for me, um, I'm originally from Newark, New Jersey. Um, I was raised in the projects of Newark. Um, I have four older brothers. Um, early on, my family struggled. Like, we went without a lot. Um, but we didn't really, like, understand or notice it because everyone in our environment was struggling. Uh, we kind of was the family that had it together because both of my mother and my father was in the home. Um, so, and we always had people over our home and um, staying with us and with us. So when we struggled, it just was kind of a way of life. Um, so at the early age of six, I gave my life to Jesus. I understood that he died for me and that I should live my life for him. But I had no idea what it meant to, to walk with the Lord or have an intimate and personal relationship. And the examples that I had um, of people who knew the Lord outside of my grandmother, it was just to labelize sin. This one is bigger than this one, and this is not that bad kind of thing. So I grew up learning how to label our sin. Um, so it wasn't until my family decided to move south. Um, they thought that it would be better for my brothers and I because uh, we come from, like, a tough, a tough neighborhood. I mean, I was, like, in the second grade the first time we found a dead body in the back of our building, um, being in the middle of shootouts, being in the middle of riots. Like, I literally lived that. That was our life. 
Um, so my family decided to move south. They thought that it would be better for my brothers and I. It was then revealed to us that both of my parents were addicted to crack cocaine. They thought that they could be functioning addicts. They thought that they can do what my brothers and I needed them to do, um, as well as do their own thing. But eventually, their drug addiction just completely took over. And we was living in a house without lights, and we lived without water, and we went without eating. And it was then that um, I was so angry because I didn't understand why I was dealt the cards that I was dealt. For me, learning how to labelize sin, to me, I mean, I'm a good kid. Like, I don't do no bad things. I don't struggle with no big sins. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't having sex. I was respectful to my elders. Like, we were good kids. So for me, I, I struggled in that time, and I didn't understand why I was in that place. So I decided I was going to do things on my own. And like, God, I've done it your way long enough. I'm going to do it my way. And God blessed me to be a good athlete, so I poured everything that I had into sports. I mean, I have four older brothers, so before wanting to be accepted by the world, I wanted to be accepted by them, and they all played sports. So I poured everything that I had, and I created this tunnel vision, and I just told myself every day that I woke up that I was going to make it, that I was going to make it, and ball was going to be the way that I did it. So everything that I did, basketball became my God. I did well in school because I didn't want my grades to stop me from going forward in ball. I would love to tell you that I thought education was so important and that I should do everything to glorify God, but that wasn't the case. I mean, I didn't have sex because I was deathly afraid of being pregnant and stopping myself from going forward because of basketball. Everything led back to ball. Um, so that tunnel vision I just created, no matter what I came home to, how bad things were, I just keep, kept telling myself that I'm gonna make it out. I'm gonna make it out. We're gonna be different. I'm gonna make it out. Um, and then fast forward to my senior year, come home to an uh, eviction notice on the door, finish my senior year out in the homeless shelter. Uh, but God is always doing more than we know. Always. Always. Yeah. <laughs> always doing more than we know. Uh, my brother, I have four other brothers. Like I told you, I have a brother that's a year older than me. He had already left home and um, began his uh, college um, not even career because he decided not to play anymore, but he was in college. He went to college in Nashville, Tennessee at Trevecca Nazarene University. Uh, he had come home to us being in a homeless shelter and just struggling. Uh, I had decided I wasn't going to go to school um, after being recruited and everything. I just really felt burdened for my family, and I felt like I need to get a job and help my family. But uh, my brother, God used my brother, and he looked at me in my face, and he said, this ain't what we said we were going to do. He said, we said we were going to be different. We said we were going to break the mold. We were going to break the chain that, that, as Ty said, we were going to be the gatekeepers, like to change things for our family. And he was like, I'm disappointed in you because you've given up on that dream. Um, so two weeks before school started, not until two years ago, I had no clue how this happened, but I received a letter from Trevecca. My brother, to this day, says I had nothing to do with it. Um, I received a letter at the homeless shelter. Two weeks before school started, we got on the bus, Greyhound bus, came to Nashville, um, when I was saying that God always knew more than we know, I hadn't even applied to Trevecca. I hadn't taken my ACT. I took my SAT my sophomore year and made a good score, and I never took it again. They didn't even accept SAT. But I was already accepted into the school, had a dorm and all of that, and I took the ACT the day before school started. So God had a plan, <laughs> right? So it was then that uh, a girl from a dairy farm in California invited me to an FCA and she just told me hey man you're a leader like I think you can be a strong leader for the Lord and I knew who Jesus was but I was angry 
And shortly after that first FCA meeting, we went to a camp. And it was there that Jesus wrecked my life. He wrecked my life for the better. Um, it was there that I heard an FCA staff person. I'll never forget how passionate she was when she was just like, fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with Jesus, fall in love with Jesus. Like, and, and understanding what that was, and God revealed to me for so long my identity had been found in something that was so fleeting, that was nothing, a little round ball, and that my identity should have been found in the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings that spoke the world into existence. And I couldn't believe that for so long that that's what identified me. And the only reason I was able to go is because I was injured. And it was then that I surrendered my life to Christ because I truly believe that I gave my life to Christ at six, but I always say that he became Lord of my life at the age of 18 at that camp because I then surrendered and I said, wherever you want me to go, whatever you want me to do, no matter what, I'll live my life for you. And I realized then I was saying, why, why me? Why me? I had been asking why me for so long. And the Holy Spirit clearly showed me, why not you? So it was there that I really um, surrendered my life and, and God just sent people to pour into me. He sent Daddy Brown. He sent Courtney. He sent people to walk with me and do life with me. And, I mean, I've been walking ever since then. Struggled, but I struggled well. So That's awesome. Can we give it up for Jessica? I told you you'd be glad you came. So Chris, uh, I met him as he's spoken at a couple local churches in town. And, you know, Robert Green is here today. He's our local Cory Region FCA leader. And one of the things that Robert said about Chris is he's seen a lot of big-time athletes um, come to work for FCA. And he's like, Chris is at the top as far as authenticity in these people. And we've got a picture of him just to give a little of his athletic credentials. To put that up there. we got to give him some credit. Yeah, I mean, he was pretty good. You want that guy to hit you? No, you don't. If there are any quarterbacks in the house, Chris, they are shaking right now. They're scared. They should be. That's right. <laughs> but Chris is so much more than that. And, and ladies, men, like, what a man of integrity this guy is. And he just lives out what it means to invest in the next generation. So tell us about your story and really how you came to become a Jesus follower. Yeah, so um, I hate ever going behind her because her story is, is so powerful and the Lord has done so much. But it's always so funny to talk about, just talk behind. This is my big sister, y'all. Like, I've known her since 2008, and we've been attached at the hip ever since. Um, and it wasn't until a few years after that that we realized how similar our stories were. Um, I came from, I'm originally from Memphis, Tennessee, the inner city of Memphis, Tennessee. Um, just like Jessica, I, I lived in a place where gunshots and gang violence was very, very prevalent. Like, it just was. That was the norm that we went to. I remember going to bed one night and hearing uh, shootings going on outside. My mom and dad rushing the room, tell us to get under the window sill so the bullets that come through won't hit us. And so uh, that's just where we were. And uh, my mom and dad got divorced when I was five years old. Uh, it was an abusive household. And, and my mom one day just decided that she had had enough. And she picked my brother and sister and I up. We got in our little Bronco that my mom drove, and we drove off. I remember them arguing. I remember them yelling. I remember my mom saying, we're leaving. And I remember looking out of the back window of the Bronco and saying, Mom, where are we going? Um, that changed my life. That changed everything about who I was. I was a young man, a young African-American man in the inner city of Memphis. And there are statistics that say that if you are a young African-American male in the city of Memphis without a father, you end up in jail, you end up in gangs, you end up on drugs, or you end up dead. And my mother, I'm a mama's boy, she can tell you I love my mother. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that man in the room, like I love my mom. 
Um, and I love my mom because she provided for us. She sacrificed so much to make sure that we had. She would go without so that we had. She was a, a coach and a teacher, so she was very strict, very matter of fact. Um, and that's how she raised us. Uh, the only thing that was tough for us is that we didn't show emotion because there were times, like Jessica said, that we would come home with no lights, no water. We would be scrounging up, you know, pennies, nickels, and dimes, and hopefully some quarters because that was the big bucks, like, um, so that we could go to McDonald's and get a 99-cent hamburger, and we would split it between four people. Uh, that was our life, and I wouldn't change that, but what, what happened is I became a very hardened individual. At a young age, I was not emotional because I didn't have time to be emotional. I didn't have to, I didn't have time to worry about what we didn't have. I had to worry about what we were going to do that day. Um, I didn't have time to, to cry. I didn't have time to be upset. That didn't change anything for me, so I had to be very, very cold when it came emotionally, um, but what that did is Sports was the outlet. Like I said, my mom was a coach, and from the time I was this big, I'm in there shooting on the, on the big goal, messing up my shot, um, because that's what I knew. Yeah, shooting from the hip. My dad was an NFL football player for the Dallas Cowboys. I told myself at eight years old that I wanted to go and play in the NFL. And so everything from that point on, even you can say what you want, but as an eight-year-old, I started preparing myself to be in the NFL. Um, I went to a high school that was a, a public, I mean, a private Catholic all-boys high school that had great football and great basketball simply because I wanted to make it. Um, the Lord gave me an incredible opportunity to be one of the best players in this state, one of the best players in the country, get recruited by everybody in the country, especially that A-State uh, with that ugly red that they wear. Um, <laughs> Yeah, them people. That's what we call them, the red team. Um, but I had an opportunity to go anywhere I wanted to, um, but I chose to go to the University of Tennessee. Philip Former was the reason why I did that. He came and sat in my, literally our living room was probably y'all the size of this, our apartment probably was the size of this stage, straight up. And Coach Former came and sat down, and my mom cooked dinner. My high school coach was there. My dad, my brother and sister were there. Coach Former stayed for five hours, talked about football for 20 minutes. Um, and in that 20 minutes, he said, Chris, I don't care about football with you. You're going to be a great football player. I want you to be a great man. I want you to be a great husband. I want you to be a great father. And that's why I came to the University of Tennessee was because of Coach Fulmer. Um, when I came to the University of Tennessee, that was the first time I was away from my mom. Um, not very many people know this, but when my mom drove off, me and a couple of my teammates saw our parents driving off, and I was crying on the balcony like, hey, my mama gone. Like, I was upset, y'all. Like, straight up, I was, I was hurt. Because it was the first time that I'd been away from my mom. And... Uh, but when I got to the University of Tennessee, I didn't know Jesus. I had gotten saved. We talk about that word a lot. We say that word a lot. I got saved when I was eight years old. And the only reason was because I didn't want to go to hell. My mom was pinching me and kicking me, and I heard about hell. And I said, I don't want to go to hell. So I just ran down there and prayed. Um, so I just ran down there and said a little prayer, and I got fire insurance, basically. Um, when I'm just being real with y'all. Um, but when I got to the University of Tennessee, there was a man by the name of James Mitchell. He was the chaplain for FCA. And uh, he looked at me and he said, boy, you're going to get in this Bible and it's going to change your life. And I said, all right. So he started walking with me. He told me about this, this camp that we were going to in Crossville, Tennessee, uh, the same camp Jessica went to a couple years before. She's a little bit older than me. Um, but <laughs> the same camp that Jessica went to, I went as a freshman. Um, and y'all, for the first time, I saw that. You could be a Christian and you could be an athlete and those things could coexist. For so long, I knew that either you were a church boy or you were an athlete. I chose to be an athlete because I don't want to be a church boy. Um, for the first time that weekend, I saw, yo, like you could actually be a Christian athlete. I saw 
big time football players from my school, from Vanderbilt, from Memphis, from Tennessee State, that I respected that were on the floor, on their face at the altar, crying out to the Lord. And I said, yeah, what is that? I don't know what that is, but I want it. I'd heard all the stories. People had told me all about Jesus. When things happened in my life, they were like, oh, lean on God, pray to God. I'm like, who? I don't care nothing about this God that you're talking about. I had gone through so much to that point. I was like, there is no God that's been with me. Um, Brian Loritz shared the gospel that night so clearly, February 8, 2008. I said, this is the Jesus that I want. Not the one that's in the little cartoon comic book Bibles, but the one that died for me. The one that said, even though you're messed up, I love you. The love of the Father washed over me that night, and I surrendered my life to Jesus. Now, did everything, you know, go as, as, as planned? No. And if people tell you when you come to know the Lord that everything's going to be great, they're lying to you. Um, the thing that happened, my life got harder. I had three head coaches in my time at Tennessee in four years. I had three knee surgeries in four years. I had five string coaches in four years and four position coaches in four years at the University of Tennessee. Um, things didn't ever go as planned. But the thing was, when my life was like this, my God was like this. My God was super constant in my life. And everything that I did, every trial that I faced in college, I said, all right, Lord, I, I had a phrase that said, it's all good. Because Romans 8, 28 says, all things work together for the good of those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So literally everything that I went through, I was like, it's all good. It's all good. Had an opportunity to go play in the NFL. Uh, it's funny because I tell people, be careful what you pray for. Um, I prayed before I left to go to training camp with the Baltimore Ravens. Say, Lord, if this is what you want, open the door and allow me to walk through it. But if this is not what you want, close the door so abruptly that I know only you did it. Man, be careful what you pray for. Listen to me. Literally, I got called on Tuesday, flew out on Wednesday, and I was back in Knoxville on Thursday. Like, seriously, like my dream of playing in the NFL since I was eight years old was gone. In a matter of less than, you know, whatever hours, my dream was over. And then I, yeah, I went through the human emotions of being upset, being hurt. Um, but the Lord, like he does with me, very sternly but very lovingly says, you remember the prayer that you prayed? I opened the door. And you made it to the, the spot that you wanted to since you were eight years old. And he said, you also prayed another part of that. And you said, close the door so abruptly that I know only you did it. He said, I closed it pretty abruptly. I said, yeah, you did. It was kind of rude, too. <laughs> um, but literally after that point, I was like, okay, God, whatever you want, I'm, I'm there. And so he opened up the door to come on staff with FCA down in Chattanooga. Seven years ago, I was the campus director and chaplain down at UTC. And I loved it. And then I moved a year ago to be the campus director and chaplain at the University of Tennessee. So I'm back home and I love it. God has been unbelievably gracious uh, to me, to Jessica, to all of us, for us to have breath in our lungs, for us to have purpose, for God to just shower us with his love and his grace is a, is a blessing in and of itself. That's awesome. Can we get up for Chris? So tell us a little bit about your job. And the thing is, as working for FCA, like your job is to be reaching back for people. And really, if there's two words that describe like your, your role, it's to make disciples. And Jesus talked about that a lot. Those are the last words on earth, make disciples, to teach people what it means to follow him. And so you guys are doing that on a daily basis. So could you talk about some examples of how that happens Monday through Saturday in your everyday life? Um, I, first of all, I think that we have the best job in the world. Um, we get to be around athletes, and we get to tell them about Jesus every day. Like, my regular day-to-day -day is at a football field or at a basketball court, 
in telling kids about Jesus. That's the best job in all of the world. Um, but literally, our day-to-day -day is, is different because we deal with college athletes. College kids are different, y'all. They're crazy. They're night owls. So like, they want to be up all night and all that kind of stuff. And when we're trying to go to sleep, they're like, hey, can you talk? I'm like, yeah, bro, come on over. We'll talk. <laughs> yeah, or are you cooking because we're hungry? And so, <laughs> so we're like, yeah, but our day literally looks like I may have two or three intentional conversations with, with football guys or basketball guys, uh, go to their practice every day. And I go to practice simply because I want them to see me there. And I want them to see that, yo, this dude is constant. He doesn't want anything from me. He doesn't just show up on game day where he gets to do the chapel and he gets to be on the sideline. No, he's there when it's 95 degrees outside and it's really hot. The coaches are angry. We're tired, but he's there. And then he stays after so that he can have just a 30-second conversation with me and tell me that he's praying for me, that he loves me. Like, that's what I do. That's a day-to-day. -day. Like, literally, it doesn't stop. You know, when we get back, we're probably going to have kids over at the house to, to come and eat. Like, that's just what we do, and that's what we feel like the Lord has called us to because contrary to what people now think, the college students are looking for something. They're wanting somebody to say like, hey, like I believe in you and I'm going to be here for you. And that's what I feel like our job is to, to let them know, hey, I don't want anything from you. I want everything for you. And I just gonna, I'm going to be here. I tell my kids that there's nothing that you will say or do that will cause me to leave you. I won't. I'm going to be here through the thick and thin. That's awesome. What about you, Jessica? So very similar. One of the cool things about serving with FCA is that your schedule changes so much. Uh, so just being intentional about, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to do on a daily basis? Um, it's pretty cool. Like when I first started serving, to be honest, I just uh, moved from Nashville to Knoxville. Uh, God, hey, this has been a dream for us. To, I mean, like he said, we've been attached at the hip since 08, uh, just really doing life together since 08. But a dream for us to be at the same place at the same time. I mean, we used to say in like state staff trainings, man, they don't want us on the same campus. Kind of like just joking, because we're really like the same person. So that's not good because, I mean, we're always live at five. Um, but God opened that door and we were intentional about praying and saying, hey God, uh, if this is what you want, um, open those doors. And God allowed that to happen. So when I first started to uh, serve in Nashville, that was just home for me. It was it was good for me. Uh, I had been there for so long, uh, being an athlete there. It was just easy uh, to be in Nashville. Um, but I struggled with being able to see fruit because sometimes the, the ones that you pour into the most is the ones that it takes the longest to get. But you pray that prayer, and God tell you where to go. And I'm like, but God, it's so much great things going on over there. And they act like they don't know me every time I show up here. But God keep calling me to go back to that same place. But every time that it seemed to get just so hard, God allowed me to see fruit. He allowed me to, to see exactly what he was doing and uh, where he had me planted. And that's amazing because that gave me peace to know that I was doing exactly what God had called me to do. So when God called me to go to Knoxville and I actually went, I'm like, okay, God, new coaches, new athletes, you know, a new territory. But God put it in my heart for me to start praying for a revival on the campus. And that's just what, what I've been doing. But like Chris said, it's so much about showing up. Just show up. Show up. 
and be spirit-led. So just showing up at different practices and uh, just being available for the girls, like something simple like knowing their name. It's like, hold on, I just met you yesterday. Like, for example, I went to volleyball for the first day, and they all ran up to me. They were just, hey, 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 this is who I am. You know, and they were like, you're not going to remember us, but this is who, it's 17 of them. By that afternoon's practice, I knew every single one of their names. And they were like, hold on now, we just met you. But I was intentional about doing that. It's simple, and you probably think it's not that big of a deal, but I was intentional about doing that. And now they just felt so comfortable Two days later, I'm like, hey, I'm going to the soccer game. You guys coming? They're like, oh, you going for real? I'm like, yeah, I want y'all to come with me. Four of them came with me, and I was able to have intentional conversations with them about who I am, why I'm there, and how I just want to walk with them. I'm just here to love you and walk with you no matter what. It doesn't matter about wins and losses. It doesn't matter about the sport. Just reminded them that, hey, we love you, and we want great things for you, and God want that so much more. So... I just want to be available and allow God to use me in that way. So, yeah, just showing up, really. That's where I'm at right now, just building relationships and showing up and allowing them to see who we are. Um, like Chris said, like cooking dinner, them having a home-cooked meal, like texting. They just met me. They're like, it is Sunday. Like like Chris said, it is Sunday. Y'all said we're going to have, you know, family meals. But, yeah, just showing up and just being available and allowing God to, to use us. And... Daddy Brown is my mentor. Like he said, James uh, Mitchell was. Daddy Brown just poured into me at Tennessee State as an athlete, and he always encouraged us to do this. He said, watch and see what God is doing, and then join him. So that's what I'm doing. I'm just watching and seeing what God is doing, and then I'm, I'm joining that's awesome. We actually have a picture of Daddy Brown because he's like a legend. We got a couple pictures. I mean, yeah, this guy... If you ever meet him, just try to have a conversation with him. I mean, he's phenomenal. And when we were having lunch, Chris said that he feels like he's been discipled by Daddy Brown through Jessica because he made such an impact on Jessica that all the time she's like quoting him. Daddy Brown said this, and Daddy Brown said this. How do you spell love? T-I-M-E. I'm even being discipled by him now. I know this stuff. So it's like that's the kind of impact when you keep reaching back and reaching back. And just a question for you guys. So suppose that you weren't on staff with FCA and you worked in the corporate office in Knoxville, you worked in a public school. How would that change your call to make disciples? It wouldn't. Can you say it again? It wouldn't. Wow. Um, I'm a firm believer in the way that I live my life one day is the way that I live my life every day. Um, the way Jesus has called me to live is how you're going to get me if I'm on a football field or if I'm in a corporate office uh, with a Fortune 500 CEO, like, or if I'm in the hood of Knoxville, Tennessee, Memphis, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, I'm going to be the same Chris Walker. Um, and I'm going to make disciples wherever I am because that's what we're called to do. The reason that we don't is out of fear, out of pride, or out of whatever, um, but it's really disobedience. That if I'm not making disciples where I am, I'm being disobedient to the call and the command that Jesus gave me. That's awesome. And it's not only about being disobedient. Uh, we allow ourselves to be in the way, and the selfishness. It's always something that points back to you why you can't be a disciple period, point blank. It's always about like, oh, I don't relate to them. I don't look like them. I don't come from where they come from. God ain't asked you none of that. Once you say yes to him, the word is clear. Go and make disciples. So if you're not, you're not doing what God has called you to do, period, point blank. So just being intentional and saying, okay, am I making disciples? Look at your fruit. If you ain't got nothing hanging, 
then you got to figure something out. Got to change it. Got to move some stuff around. And then you say, okay, God, why am I not making disciples? And be real with yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like, be real with yourself. Why am I not? And, and God has shown me this through Daddy Brown. The only ability that you need in the kingdom of God is availability. You make yourself available and God will use you. I mean, I can remember in the beginning, I'm like, I don't know all the scripture. God calling me to, you know, be a minister of the word. I don't know the word like that. Uh, you know, I only know me. I can give him me. But God opened the door and allowed me to grow as I grew in my relationship with him and I sought him more. I mean, I started to quote scripture and stuff that it just was literally hidden in my heart. The word of God says, hide it in your heart. And then over, I mean, from the heart, the mouth speaks. So all of that comes from just really seeking God. And I really desire to please the Lord. And when you become a disciple, all you do is do life with people. Do life with people. Like Chris said, man, these college-age students are looking for something. The fact that I show up on the campus at the University of Tennessee, you know, I'm not a VFL or whatever, but they just was ready with open arms. Like, I can't believe you here. You know, you're going to fix my life. I can't wait for you to do I'm like, I can't fix your life, but I can walk with you. Like, that's real life. Like, first time meeting them. They just desire to sit down and talk because they want somebody. They don't under, some of them don't understand that they want the Lord yet or that the difference that they see in us is Jesus, but we'll get there. As we do life and as we walk with them, we'll get to that place. But like Chris said, if I'm behind a desk every day, God still called me to be a disciple. You know what I'm saying? If I'm a crossing guard, he called me to be a disciple. It doesn't matter where you're at. You don't have to be in a pulpit. You have to be a believer and know who he is and have accepted him as your savior, and that's it. Yeah, it's awesome. And Chris, could you tell us, that there's a young man that you just pursued, and he ran away from you, basically, and then you just stayed in his life, like you were talking about earlier. Like, I don't want anything from you, but I want everything for you. Yeah. Can you tell us about that a little bit? Yeah, I hope he's watching, too, because I'm going to talk bad about him. But <laughs> um, so literally, y'all, this is a kid that came from a um, two-parent home. You know, they went to church every Sunday, and, you know, I got you know, involved with him because one of our FCA staff people up in his area said, hey, I've got a kid coming to UTC, you need to get with them. I said, okay, cool. You know, I never really know what, what that looks like. So I said, all right, cool. So I got with the kid and we sat down, you know, multiple times over about six weeks. And in that six weeks, I started to see this wall that was, you know, miles thick, started to just kind of like break down. And there was a moment where I saw his face and he was real with me. And, but Again, like I said, it took six weeks of sitting down and eating breakfast with him. Um, and I saw, this, I saw his face for the first time. He told me some things that he had never told anybody else. And then as soon as it came out of his mouth, the wall went back up. The reason why was because he was afraid of what I was going to do with the information that he told me. Um, and I just continued to pursue them. After that six weeks, like I didn't hear from him for about three or four months. I still would text him, hey, man, thinking about you, praying for you. Kept talking to him. Um, you know, there was a point in time where he was a basketball player at UTC and we were having our FCA meeting in the arena and I knew he was down there shooting and I stopped my leadership team and I said, hey, y'all, we're going to pray for him right now. So we all went to the rail where we could see him shooting. We lifted our hands towards him and we prayed that the Lord would do work in his life. Fast forward another four months. I get a text from this kid, hey, it's FCA tonight, knowing good and well FCA was not that night. Everybody at UTC knows that FCA was on Tuesday night. He texts me on a Monday, 
And I said, no, but we've got our leadership and community time where our leaders and people that want to go deeper with the Lord gather together to read the word, to pray for each other, and to worship. Um, I said, we're not meeting for FCA tonight, but we're meeting for community. Why don't you come over? He said, that's not really my thing. I said, hey, man, for six months, eight months, you have run away from the love that the Lord wants to give you. Allow somebody to love you. Let me love you. Let us love you. And lo and behold, we're sitting there. We hear a knock on the door and walks the kid. He sits down. He comes for the next three weeks, doesn't say a word, just sits there and he listens. One night he says, hey, this is like 11 o'clock. He's like, hey, can we go get something to eat? So we go to Waffle House. We're there to like literally two o'clock in the morning. I'm sitting there talking with him through this stuff. The next week, he says, hey, man, I kind of realized that I really don't know Jesus. The way that y'all live your lives and the way that you talk about Jesus, the way that you follow him with reckless abandon, I don't have that. I don't know that. He gave his life to, to the Lord sitting in my living room, and now the kid is literally flourishing and walking with the Lord. But here's what I want to tell you. Discipleship is messy. Discipleship is hard. Discipleship is long. Discipleship is not pretty. And us says, if we're not called, if it's not in our heart what Jesus has told us, we're not going to do it. The reason why I stayed with this kid for two years is because I knew that he had nobody that loved him or depended on him or said that you are worthy. And I wanted to tell him that the Father calls you worthy. The Father calls you adequate. The Father says that you are loved. And now, was that two years of my life where I felt like, man, I've wasted my time with this kid? Absolutely. But what I knew was that this one was as important as this many to the Father. And I want to encourage you. It's going to take a long time. If you decide to start walking with somebody that doesn't know Jesus and is going to bust hell wide open, it's worth it to walk with them. Now, you can't, like, want them to act like a believer when they're not a believer. Understand that. You want to change them. You want behavior modification. It's not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. That's what it's about. That takes time. And if you get an instant fix like that, chances are that there was something emotional about that, and it's not going to last. I'm begging you guys, as a minister of the gospel, as a disciple maker, take the challenge. I want you guys to go home. I want you to get on your face and ask the Lord to burden your heart for discipleship. The reason why we are where we are as a people and as a world is because the people of God have not taken up the call of Jesus. Point blank, period. What if everybody in this room decided to take discipleship seriously? What if you made disciples that make disciples? Yo, the world changes, y'all. It changes because of you, because of you, because of you in the back. The world changes because we say, you know what, Jesus, I'm going to take you at your word. And if you bring me to it, you're going to bring me through it. If it's going to be hard, you're going to be there. You're never leaving. And I'm going to be that for somebody else. Like, I envision, y'all, I'm getting, I get emotional about this because I see the world changing because the people of God have decided that we're going to make things different. We're going to change this world just like the 12 did 2,000 years ago. That's why we're still sitting here talking about this guy named Jesus because they took it seriously. Y'all, I'm begging you. There are kids that are dead in their sin. They are dying. They are going to hell for eternity because they don't know Jesus. Please ask the Father to burden your heart. I promise you he will. I promise. Can I say something? 
So uh, Chris and I were standing back there before we came up, and you guys had the picture of uh, what reaching back looks like. So as I shared with you guys, I was a track and field athlete in college. I threw all five events, right? And as I was looking back there, the Holy Spirit showed me something, and I'm like, dang. I call him Seawalk. I'm like, hey, the Lord just showed me something. And if you watch that picture, you see the runner in the front that's looking back to grab that baton. But I noticed this. If you're a sprinter, you don't look back. If you're a sprinter, you that's like the number one thing. You bet not look back. You better just put your hand up and that person behind you got to find your hand. But in distance, you always look back and grab the baton. Always. So when he's talking about discipleship, it's messy. It's long. It's for the long haul. Like, you don't, okay, I'm going to meet with them for two weeks. Let me get this program that says it's a six-week discipleship. And after that, they're done. They're discipled. That ain't how it works. God says that we do life. It's for life. It's, the, it's for life. Even when they get to the point where they're discipling others, they're going to always turn back and say, you know, this is the person who discipled me. Let me go to them. And ministry comes from the overflow. As you pour into someone, they're able to pour into, you know, someone else, right? So from all of that, I mean, it's for the long haul, and it's, it's so worth it. It's so worth it. I'm telling you, man, if I, if I didn't have godly women that were older than me in the faith, not necessarily by age, older than me in the faith, that took their time to pour into me and tell me, hey, you find yourself worth from the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, nothing else. Your past and what you've been through and your family uh, dynamic, it doesn't make who you are. Jesus Christ and Jesus alone is who created me. And when I started to turn to the word to find out who I am, and I read the word and the word of God says that I'm his masterpiece, that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, that he spoke me into existence. And after he spoke me into existence, he looked at me and said, I'm good. So it doesn't matter what nobody else say. It matters what the word of God says, because Jesus, y'all, he said, let there be light. And then he created me. So I needed someone to tell me and remind me when the world told me everything else. I needed someone that was bold enough to say, hey, she rough around the edges, but she's worth it. I needed that. And God is calling us. It ain't if we're called. If you know him, you're called. You're called. So like Chris said, man, I'm begging you, get on your knees and cry out to God and say, God, who do you want me to disciple? And you might even be Peyton, the kid who, who said, I don't think I know the Jesus that you know. Because some of us are pew holders. And some of us get spiritually obese. We come here and we hear the word every week and we getting fat. We getting fatter, we getting fatter. And we don't do nothing to work it off. You just take it home. You like, I'm good. I'm, I'm thick. I'm good. I'm going to heaven. But God has called us to go. So, like we said, we're begging you guys to go. I think the challenge is clear. Will all of us who claim to follow Jesus, will we get on our face and say, Jesus, who do you want me to disciple? Look, they're around you. They may be where you shop. They may be where you work. They may be where you work out. They may be where you hang out. They are around you. Jesus, open our eyes. Show us who it is and give us the courage to start the conversation, to remove the excuse, be bold, and start the conversation. 
And look, and if you don't follow him, today could be the day that you begin to follow him. And then tomorrow you could start to make disciples because that's what a Jesus follower does. So if you're interested in following him, just tell him that you want to do that. And we'll be out in the lobby. If you want to talk to somebody about that, feel free to. So public worship is going to come up. And the challenge for us is really clear. Will we just put our whole lives on the table, push our chips to the middle and say, Jesus, I'm all in. Who do you want me to reach back for? So will you do that? Take a few moments. Begin to pray that prayer now. I know it's crowded, but if you want to get on your face in the aisle or in your chair, do that now. And if not, please, if you follow Jesus, do that when you get home this afternoon. Let's be a people who live out what Jesus commanded us to do. So Jessica, would you just pray over us to end this time? Sure. God, you're so good. You're so good. God, and we thank you for who you are. And we glorify you and we give you all the honor and praise, Lord Jesus. God, I thank you that you have created us, Lord God. I thank you that you love us, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you say that we're worthy, oh God. God, I thank you that the owner of something places the value on it. So God, if you're our owner, our value is far more than we can ever think or imagine, God. So God, I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will seek you like never before, that we will fall madly in love with you, oh God. God, and that we will say, Lord Jesus, open our eyes, Lord God. Break our hearts for what break yours and use us like only you can, God. God, we thank you, Lord God. I thank you for those who will come to know you because of the obedience in this room. God, I say, have your way. Have your way. It is Jesus' name that I pray.